listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. This program is entitled, Let the Bible Speak. That is a dignified title that clearly reflects our burden and our desire. However, at times the Bible speaks to issues that fly in the face of much modern thought and culture. That's the case when we look at the subject of the role of women in the church. And that's a topic that's before us today as we continue our series in 1 Timothy, looking at chapter 2. And let me read to you from the verse number 9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we study this portion of Scripture today. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word and the word that directs us and instructs us. We pray you'd help us to understand it afresh today. May it minister grace to all who hear. May we have clarity and may it encourage us in our walk with God. So bless us now and grant us help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In some churches there can be a tendency to major on the don'ts of the Christian life to the detriment of the do's. I think all Christians have a tendency towards legalism and the desire to to be told how they should conduct their lives. Christians often thrive on having a list of things that they cannot do. It has been the mind of many, so long as I don't do what I shouldn't do, it doesn't really matter if I don't do what I should. Let me repeat that so you get the point. There are many Christians who think that so long as they don't do what they shouldn't, then it doesn't really matter if they don't do what they should If I was to ask you what is taught in these verses, perhaps you would say that women can't wear certain clothes and women can't teach in the church. We read these verses and we see the emphasis upon the things that women can't do. Perhaps this reveals a tendency that's within our hearts to emphasize the don'ts and then we miss out on seeing the do's in such a passage. Remember the context here in 1 Timothy 2 is that of public prayer and public worship. We've seen that in these previous verses and we've noticed that Paul, having dealt with the the men's neglect of public prayer, now comes to deal with the woman. I think this does demonstrate to us again that this portion is dealing with the subject of the public gatherings of the people of God. Paul is dealing with men and women together in these verses. To the men, he deals with this neglect of their duty to 
take on their God-given responsibility to lead in public worship and to pray. And here the ladies are now addressed with issues that are pertinent to their own living of the Christian life. It's not that these things don't affect men, because they do, but Paul is highlighting some of the besetting sins in the church there in Ephesus. And as they come from the inspired word of the apostle, and so these issues are relevant to our own context today. Let me immediately begin by pointing out the matter of appearance or apparel that Paul deals with here. He says in verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Note that Paul is dealing with the professing believer. In verse 10 he refers to women professing godliness, those who profess and confess piety. And so we see that the confession of faith impacts the whole life of the believer. I I should emphasize again that God has a right to place demands and expectations on our externals. That is in the word of God. Uh, God has a right to determine how we should dress, how we should appear. But as we look at this portion, I want to emphasize the positivity of Paul's words. He's really exhorting women to be truly beautiful. A beauty that is in the sight of God. And that beauty which is then seen even amongst others. A beauty not according to the world's standard, but a beauty that is according to godliness. Beautiful in appearance. Again, not as the world would count beauty, not as the world would portray on the magazine covers and on the various forms of media, but a beauty that is for women professing godliness. The word modest here is not referring to what we often think of, although we'll see later on that is an important principle. Modest here describes orderliness or decency, a true beauty. One of the lexicons defines the word in terms of being well arranged, seemly, modest. Uh, Another commentary on the original language describes this word as being decorous respectable, well-ordered. And here the adjective is attached to to clothing, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. God would have women to be beautiful. He made the world beautiful and orderly. It's interesting, this word modest is derived from the word for world. It indicates that We are to reflect the orderliness of God's beautiful creation. William Hendrickson, the commentator, says this, It is clear that the apostle does not condemn the desire God-given on the part of girls and women to adorn themselves. There is an attractiveness and a beauty when women adorn themselves with clothing that is well-arranged, that is respectable and orderly, beautiful in appearance, but beautiful also in attitude. The instruction goes on by dealing with the matter of women adorning themselves with shamefacedness and sobriety. These terms also do refer to the apparel, but clearly Paul is dealing with the attitude that then will govern the choice of apparel. Shamefacedness is a word that speaks of humility 
a modesty of spirit. In the negatives, a woman's clothing and conduct should not be suggestive or seductive or brash or gaudy. It is not godly for a woman to wear clothing that shouts to the world, look at me, look at me. Proverbs chapter 7 and the verse number 10 refers to clothing that can be the attire of an harlot. Modest clothing is clothing that is not suggestive, clothing that is not seductive. It also refers to sobriety. This speaks of women being governed in their clothing with a good sense of self-control. What this indicates to us is that the matter of our clothing must be a matter that is given careful thought. Women are not to be careless in the choice of their clothing. They should be thinking as to what their clothing conveys to others. Sobriety involves the use of the mind as determinations are made regarding the purchase and then the wearing of certain articles of clothing. This is very important. Once more we see that there is no area of our lives that are left outside of the Christian mind, that in all things we carefully consider our actions, how they uh, convey our hearts, and also how they may impact others. A godly woman is going to be sober-minded in the choice of clothing. You can find a proud heart behind a mask of pretended modesty. I'm conscious uh, we're dealing with the subject here on the uh, on a broadcast that is dealing with the clothing of women and ladies in the context of the church. This is the word of God. We must let the Bible speak to these subjects. Uh, and so let me summarize it with three words that I, I think will, will help you as you consider how you are to govern your own clothing. Clothing should be marked by modesty, by femininity, and by simplicity. Modesty regarding the neckline and the hemline and the sightline. Sometimes clothing can cover nakedness, but it is of such a tight nature that it leaves nothing to the imagination. Modest clothing is not beautiful. It is vulgar and cheap, no matter the label. Clothing that is seductive and suggestive goes against the word of God as we have it revealed for us here in the language of the Apostle Paul. Femininity should also mark the clothing of a godly woman. Femininity refers to the distinctiveness there should be between male and female apparel. That a woman's clothing should set them out as being distinctively feminine. There should not be this confusion that exists whereby it's hard to determine who is a man and who is a woman. And once more we find ourselves bringing the Bible in a manner that is cross-cultural, but it is still the Word of God. Simplicity, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, this is not suggesting that people should not twist or plait or braid their hair as we might see it today. But in historical context, this was a sign of wealth. These elaborate coiffures involved jewels and gold. Remember the Bible that the man had to sell all he had to buy the pearl of great price. And here a woman and they're being arrayed with gold and pearls and costly array. Ladies may avoid immodesty, but they may fall short in this area. They may use their clothing as a means of displaying wealth. Today's culture may well encourage femininity, but... Beauty is often viewed regarding cost and also immodesty. 
You think of the magazines and the television and the movie industry and how that ladies are exalted due to the lack of clothing or the wealth of the clothing they may choose to wear. I just want to encourage you again that we would not be conformed by this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And ladies, please listen to the word of God and be beautiful in the way that the Lord would have you to be beautiful. Beautiful in appearance, beautiful in attire. Uh, and also Paul deals with the matter of beautiful in action. He says that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel and with good works. In verse number 10, these good works are emphasized as works of care and charity. We'll see later on in 1 Timothy 5 that uh, the widows were uh, to be known as those who have uh, been well reported off for good works, brought up children, lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet, relieved the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. That's 1 Timothy 5 in the verse number 10. There was a woman in Joppa named Tabitha, She's described for us in Acts chapter 9. She's also called Dorcas. And this woman was a woman full of good works. And when Peter was there, there were those who showed him the clothes, the coats and the garments which Dorcas had made as she had tended for the needs of the saints in that church. Now she passed away but was miraculously raised by uh, Peter to great joy because they delighted in this woman's loving attitude towards them in the church. Beautiful in good works. Uh, what's the reason behind all this? Well, it must be because that God and Christ must be preeminent in the church. When women adorn themselves with immodest clothing and with wealthy, luxurious clothing, when they conduct themselves in such a fashion, they are revealing an attitude that says, Look at me. May your focus be on me. But the church is all about God and Christ. And we ought to seek that people would see us and see indeed our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Before we move on, in case you think this is just a matter of a cultural situation, Paul is not alone in these instructions. Peter also, in 1 Peter chapter 3, describes the apparel when he says, Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So ladies, seek to adorn yourself with that which is in the sight of God of great price. But secondly, we note the purpose of attendance. Here we are dealing with the subject of women coming to church. Why would the lady come to church? Well, Paul tells in verse number 11, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now, at the outset, I should express my conviction, and the conviction of my denomination, that we are against women teaching and preaching in the public gatherings. But this, again, may be one of those occasions where women will content themselves as not doing what they shouldn't do, but really missing the point of what they should do. Verse 11 is not a negative, it is a positive. Let the woman learn. Their action is to learn. Now, some people will look at this text and say the text says don't teach. Well, we'll come to that. But the text in verse 11 says learn. 
Note, this sense is countercultural. It comes as a command to the woman. In Paul's day, in society, women were viewed as academic inferiors. The Talmud said, the, wo- the men come to learn, the women to hear. We wouldn't and shouldn't say that, but in many parts the view of the church is that Christian doctrine is for the men. But here this text implies that the church gathering is to be a place of instruction and teaching and learning. The pastor is to be one who is apt to teach, and women are instructed by the Lord to learn in the house of God, to learn Christian doctrine and to learn Christian duty. Epaphras in Colossians chapter 1 is one who's a teacher of the people of God. And in his teaching, the congregation learned. They learned the truth of the grace of God. In Titus chapter 3, Paul says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. So the place of the church is to instruct all attending in the matters of doctrine and duty. The reason that ladies should come to church is to learn the word of God, to listen, to understand, to grow in knowledge, and then from that knowledge then to be useful and effective in the service of the kingdom as they perform those good works that are necessary and useful for the fruitfulness of the body of Christ. There's also here not only an action, there is an attitude also. There is to be an attitude of humility. Yes, they are to learn in silence. The silence is not resentful. It's not a silence of a, of a huff that, well, if I'm not allowed to teach, then I'm, I'm not going to learn. Silence is a very important word here, and it's important to see how it is used. It's often used by men in an abusive sense to demean women. Silence, as used here, has more to do with demeanour than it has to do with mouths. The word is used for quiet in chapter 2 in the verse number 2. In Acts chapter 21 in the verse 40, Paul stands on the stairs in Jerusalem and beckons with a hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue. A couple of verses later it says, And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they gave them more silence. Silence as a word here is a word that speaks to attentiveness to the word, to a submissiveness to come under the word of God. And that is, of course, the proper demeanour of a learner, whether they be male or female. Now, we come as being submissive to Christ who teaches us in his word, submissive as Mary was who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word in Luke chapter 10. And so here, as we think about this matter of attendance, we're thinking about the action. They are to learn the attitude. They are to learn in humility. But then we must tackle the negative issue of authority. Because it does say in verse number 12, But I suffered, or I allow not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. We've got to tackle this issue. What is Paul saying? And why does Paul say it? And does what he say apply to us today? Well, the context of teaching in First and Second Timothy has to do with the authoritative teaching of the word. Paul tells Timothy, 
these things command and teach. He refers to elders that rule well, being counted of double honour, especially they who labour in the word and doctrine or in teaching. So in the context of First and Second Timothy, teaching has to do with authority. Hence Paul says in this verse, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority. The immediate context is the public worship where male and females are together under the word of God. And in such a context, it is Paul's instruction that the men are to exert this authority as they bring the word of God to the congregation. Women are not permitted to teach in the public meetings of the church. The presence of women preachers is a rejection of the word of God, no matter how good a teacher they may be. Now, please understand, the Bible does not teach that women are not to teach anywhere. They are to teach in the context of the family. They are even to teach in the context of the church, as Titus chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that the older women are to teach the younger. They may even teach in private, as Priscilla and Aquila as a couple instructed Apollos in the things of God in Acts chapter 18. Now please don't forget, God does not call all men to this task of teaching. Paul is not suggesting that all men teach all women. His instruction in the word of God is that some men are called to teach the entire congregation, but that women are not given that calling. And the reason that he gives for this is actually rooted in creation. He says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And the word first there is not so much a reference to time as it is to priority. It was in the sovereign wisdom of God to place Adam in the role of headship. Note Paul has no difficulty believing in the historical presence of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And he uses their example as a means to ground his instruction for the church. He then goes on to say, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, this is more difficult. In what sense does Paul use the deception of Eve to then use this to undergird his position regarding the woman not teaching? Some feel and taught that women were more susceptible to deception, error, and hence false teaching. They would go as far as to say that women could not be trusted. Now, that cannot be the case. Even in this very epistle, the false teachers are men. So let me offer this suggestion. I believe that Eve's deception is used to emphasize Adam's responsible headship. Adam wasn't deceived. He sinned with his eyes wide open. And the fall, according to Romans chapter 5, is Adam's fault. He failed in his headship, but his headship was still what God's order intended. I think Paul is emphasizing the fact that Adam was not deceived to emphasize his headship over the woman, his responsibility in that regard. We are dealing here with the issue of roles. It is the fact that God in his order has so chosen to give man this position of headship and authority and that women ought not to usurp this position of authority. And men are not to teach because they are better than women, but because it is God's order. And in the use of creation, Paul indicates that this injunction is not 
cultural. So yes, we must note the negative. Women are not to teach in the public gatherings of the Church of Christ, but they are to learn, and may they do so with all of their hearts. Finally, let me give you a passing word of encouragement, because Paul finishes this chapter with the importance of abiding. He says, In light of the fall, notwithstanding she, that is the woman, shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Though the fall came, that is not the end. The judgment on the woman was pain in childbirth. And so Paul is saying that women will be saved in the context of the fall if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. It's indicating that women are saved when they come to faith in Christ and when their hearts are changed in the rebirth. And in that glorious change, they then become those who love the Lord and practice holiness. And through faith in Christ, they are those who are walking with God. And what Paul is saying here is that they are saved when they abide and when they continue in such things. Salvation does belong to the ones who continue. The Bible teaches the proper doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That those who are born again of the Spirit continue on in that walk with God. What an encouragement. That though the fall has come, there is salvation found in Christ and in Christ alone. What an encouragement this is for the woman. So often the role of women in the church emphasizes the negatives of what they cannot do in the house of God. But what a blessing it is to reflect upon the truth that through Christ salvation is offered to us. And though the fall has broken this world, there is salvation and redemption found in the person of Christ. Those who come to know Christ prove their allegiance to Christ by abiding in Christ. And hence Paul can say that they are saved if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. These verses are not easy to understand or to apply and they certainly fly against the culture of this present evil age. But may God help us to submit to the word of God And as we let the Bible speak again today, may that Bible direct and govern our minds and our actions for the glory of Christ in his church. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.